0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. All right, good evening, church. Good evening to those of you who are here, to those of you who are joining us, uh, those of you joining us online. Uh, man, excited to be here tonight. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Super excited. I've been blessed studying the passage this week. Just a reminder this Saturday night at, listen, 7 p.m., not 6, but at 7. Yeah. We're gonna worship, we're gonna sing, we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna have a dress rehearsal for the coming of King Jesus, a feast of trumpets. Uh, It'll be 7 p.m. in our east parking lot, so bring a chair, uh, get here early, find a space, socially distance, and all that good stuff. It's going to be awesome. But tonight, Joshua chapter two, the title of the message is uh, Two Spies, a Shady Lady, and a Scarlet Thread. So, Hopefully you remember that title. Daniel said, that sounds like the beginning of a joke. Two spies, a scarlet, you know, shady lady walking to a bar. Anyway, never mind. So, Joshua chapter two. Pick up with me in verse one. We'll look at the, kind of summarize the entire chapter, but we'll read here through verse 14. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shitem. That's how we're going to say it tonight. Long eye. Shitem. Get that correct. From Shitem as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute. His name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. The king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Verse eight, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, and listen carefully, I know the Lord has given you the land. That's right. As the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og." whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, listen, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Father, we thank you this night to gather. I pray as we study this story, the story of Joshua chapter two, as we encounter the incredible story of a woman of faith, where we would have encouragement, we would have hope, we would be challenged tonight. There is much I believe you want to speak to your church to us tonight in a variety of ways. And what we need is we need ears to hear, spiritual ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying tonight collectively and individually to us. And may we respond by saying yes to whatever it is you put on our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Hey Amen. It's interesting when you study the Bible, there are a lot of characters that we come across and we associate their occupation with the name. When I say David, you think shepherd or perhaps king. When I say Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer. Isaiah, a prophet. Peter was a fisherman. Okay, look, make a little more feedback tonight. Esther was the queen. Matthew, a tax collector. All right, you're alive. All right, Caiaphas was the what? High priest. Joseph in the New Testament was? Carpenter, all right, yeah, 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 Jesus down, okay, you're there. Paul was a tent maker, yeah, okay. Lydia, anybody remember Lydia, what she was known for? Fabric. Yes, a seller of purple, of fabric. We, we, we find these characters, and so often the Bible associates, or at least in our minds, with their occupation, and tonight we see a woman, again, who the Bible gives us her occupation, not just once or twice, in fact, several times When we read about Rahab, we always associate her with what? Rahab the harlot or Rahab the prostitute. We read about it here in chapter two. Later on in chapter six, she comes up once again as we see the conclusion of her story, at least a little bit of her story. Again, her her occupation is given to us. And again, in the New Testament, two times she is brought before us in Hebrews and in James. We'll look at that a bit later. But again, it's not just Rahab. In fact, God's trying to highlight her, but it's Rahab the harlot or Rahab the prostitute. We wanna go, man, what gives? Man, that's kinda harsh, you know? Forever in perpetuity in the Bible, her, her profession is always written alongside her name, and we wonder why was this the case? And I think we'll answer that in a little bit. And you see, this is how we first find her. This is how we meet this woman, but that's not the end of her story. That might have been the story that everybody else wanted to write on her life. It might have been the story that she thought she was destined to simply uh, live out her days in this situation, but God had a different plan, a different call, a different destiny for her life. That's not the end of her story. Because no one ever starts off as a young girl dreaming about the day that she can grow up and sell her body for sex. No girl dreams of one day spending her days in a brothel, being the object of whatever guy comes in and whatever he's willing to pay. That's not the dream of any person. We know sadly what happens. We've learned that oftentimes it wasn't just simply a choice that she made. It wasn't the destiny she sought for herself, but somewhere along the line, more than likely, there was somebody or some persons who she should have trusted who who violated her, took that choice from her. And eventually she made her own choice, because eventually you do make your choice. Listen, eventually you do take responsibility, but so often we know the foundation, something went awry. The dream that she had was shattered, and eventually she says, this is how, I guess I am in the world. I guess this is how I find my value. I guess this is what I do. This is what I have to offer. And eventually the dream fades, the hope is gone of ever finding Prince Charming of ever settling down and having a family of her own. Instead, the hardened cynic just simply makes her way and eventually she becomes the owner, of the innkeeper. Somehow she's the, the person in charge, she's a survivor. She's made her way and we can use our imagination to think of the pain, the hardness, all that really forms and describes to us Rahab. But listen, that's not how God viewed her. That's, right. that's not how God saw her. That's the the lens in which we see as humans, but God says, no, I see a different lens. Humanly speaking, we see one thing, we see only what's right in front of us, but God says, no, I see the person, but I also see and know what's in their heart, and I also know what I can do in and through their life. I love chapter two, because it really tells us the heart of God. In the middle of the story of Joshua, and Joshua's amazing, because really it's about God fulfilling his promises, A promise that he had made to Abraham 400 years earlier. I'm making a covenant. I'm giving you the land. It is a story about walking in the promises, about Israel possessing her possessions. But listen, it's about the full promise of God. God said, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we get a glimpse of that here in chapter two because it's not only about Israel being set up not only about Israel coming in conquest and conquering and possessing god was judging god was dealing there was wrath there was judgment but god knew and remembered mercy god was blessing the nation god saw a woman who whom he loved right. who had faith whom he wanted to rescue listen it's the story it's the story of the god who leaves the 99 to go after the one Chapter two is given to us in the midst of so many great things that focuses on Israel. All of a sudden, we turn our attention really to this woman. And ultimately, again, it gives us a deeper insight into the heart of God. It gives all hope. This story is, is full of hope for any here tonight who think, I don't know if God can love me. The story of Rahab says yes. It's a challenge to all of us to say, no, this is the person that God loves. And he oftentimes, she oftentimes looks a whole lot different than I think they're going to look for us to look in every place, high or low, and say, that's a person whom God has made. That's a person in God's image. That's a person whom God loves and wants to redeem. It's a story here tonight, and listen, it's full of faith, and I'm so excited. It's a story, listen, uh, of a prostitute, pagan woman who never, listen, we'll get into the story, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but there's no prophet, there's no priest who ever preaches to her, but she hears enough of the story of this God and mixes it with faith, saving faith, and God says, I'm gonna rescue that one. That one belongs to me. I'm gonna go out of my way to bring that one into my family. It's the story of a radical faith given by this woman. The story begins, and I love how it just kind of, it, it, it lays itself out for us, how the, the writer of it tells a story. And I, I love the Old Testament. I love kind of getting to the narratives, And it begins with Joshua here in verse one, sending out two spies. He says, guys, I want you to, and notice it says secretly. Listen, we don't have to tell everything we know. He says secretly. Sometimes it's okay to keep a secret. Joshua secretly sends these two spies out. And when they get into the place of Jericho, they're going into the place because this was the first battle that they were going to have to wage war in. This was the most strategic place. It was right in the middle, right in the heart. And Joshua I need you to go and spy out the land. I need you to bring back some reconnaissance. We need some information. Remember, Joshua is a general. And if you remember, Joshua also was a spy many years earlier, along with Caleb, who went with several others, but who brought back a good report. But here's where the story gets a bit interesting. There's questions. Now, why do the men of God the people of God, the men who have covenanted with God to to follow the 10 commandments, the first place they go into the city is where? (laughs) They go to the red light district. They're like, I know, let's go to the local brothel. What was the, was the Airbnbs all filled up? So they're like, well, I guess we'll go here. No, I think strategically, we we might roll our eyes, we might go, hey, what in the world's going on? Had, Had you been in the desert that long? And a lot of times we might be a little suspect about their motives, but strategically, actually it made sense. Because strategically, to go into the brothel was a place that a lot of people coming into the city would visit. It was a place where you wouldn't have gotten a lot of attention. Not a lot of questions would be asked by strange men visiting the local brothel when they had come in from the fields. It was a place where a lot of information would be exchanged as people came and went there and there was places that could talk and information that was being exchanged. And so they make their way here. Now we wonder when, why, I mean, some people have asked the question, why did Joshua do this? I mean, at great risk if you think about it. But again, those of you who know the story, the first time spies were sent out, it didn't go so well, right? The first time 12 were sent out, you know the story. 10 came back and said, it's great, but we can't do this. And Joshua and Caleb alone said, no, we can do this. God can do this. And they spent the next 40 years in the desert wandering because of their lack of faith. There was a risk, and yet Joshua knows he's, he's gonna send them out. Now, there are those who wanna criticize Joshua for not having faith. No, I think Joshua was not presuming. Joshua was a general. At this point, Joshua had no idea. Listen, what we know now, Because in a few chapters, what happens? God gives his plan and it's nothing like a man would ever come up with. Hey, march around the city seven times, you know, seven days and the seventh day, seven times, and I'm going to do something that you can't imagine. Joshua at this point had no idea that was the plan of God. And so Joshua sends out this time, not 12, but two. And perhaps he selected two men of great faith. He says, okay, I I trust you guys. You're going to come back with uh, not a, 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 a testimony that will bring fear into the hearts of men, but you can get some actual intel, some actual information so he's not presuming. I, I do think he was doing the right thing here. But what I do find it, it, about the story, it's quite humorous. Again, they make their way in, in, into the red light district. They make their way into this place. But when we actually look at them, they're, they're not very good spies, are they? I mean, it doesn't take long before they get into town and, and people know that they've arrived. So, you know, Israel's known, if you guys know this, like they're known for the Mossad, Right. Like the Mossad, we think the CIA is like, but the Mossad is this mysterious, the, the, the spy agency of Israel, like they can like walk through walls. I mean, there's, this has got this like reputation as the most elite of all elites. Well, they didn't start off so well. The, the original spies back here are, we find them having to be hidden by a woman on the, on the rooftop under flax. I mean, really that, that's where they're at. They're in a most vulnerable situation. They're not these great spies. Really, we find them under the mercy of God and really at the mercy of this prostitute who could just say a word and their life was forfeit. At the end of uh, verse seven, we see this ominous verse, you see in your Bible there. It says, after she sent them out, the gate was shut behind them and were kind of left kind of hanging. We're left in suspense. The, the, the two spies, the men of God, are there up on the roof, hiding under the flax, and we wonder what is going to become of them. Again, we have to ask why. As you read things, it's important to, why, why is this here? What's God saying? Why, why did the spies even go? Because ultimately, when you read through the chapter, there's nothing pragmatically, there's no information that they received this whole time they're there in Jericho that will really help them militarily. Now spiritually, they're gonna receive something powerfully and we'll get there. Spiritually, they're gonna receive a testimony that will bring great faith back to the people of God. But there's nothing that they discover that we, at least that we know about that helps them in any way, shape or form take the city. In fact, what we know is that God has a completely different plan for taking the city, right? So they don't need to know how big the walls are. They don't need to know how many, you know, catapults, how many, you know, archers there are. They don't don't know any of that. Ultimately, it really doesn't matter. So why do they go? I believe God sends them. I believe at least uh, God, you know, Joshua under the uh, the direction of God sends them. Again, I'm saying this, I, I believe that they're supposed to go, but the reason we say is why it wasn't for the information that they receive, but ultimately it's from whom they do receive the information that we'll see. Because this chapter really is about, and I'll stress it again, it's about the salvation of the most unlikely person. Joshua did not need the information. God would save the city miraculously. But listen, there was a woman there that needed to be saved. There was a woman there that needed to come under the protection of God. The refuge of God. In many ways, chapter two reads like a a parenthesis. It's a parenthetical account because you could read chapter one and go right to chapter three and the rest of it and it would make perfect sense about the conquest of the people of God just simply acquiring the possession that God had given them. And yet we have this story that in some ways we could say just from a pure literary standpoint doesn't add much to the story going forward. It doesn't add much to the plot of what's going to happen but it's absolutely central to the plan and the plot of God. It's absolutely central to his plan of not only the salvation of Israel in that time, but we'll see, central to the plan of salvation for all of us, all of you and me. There was a woman there that needed to be saved. It reminds me of another story in John chapter four, when Jesus makes his way, and you know the story, it says Jesus had need of going to Samaria. Jesus needed to go to Samaria. And if you've ever studied that passage, you know actually where Jesus was at, most of the time they didn't go through Samaria. They avoided it. In fact, there was different ways, but Jesus, I need to go to Samaria. Why did Jesus need to go to Samaria? Because there was a woman at the well. Because again, there was another woman in a similar situation, another woman who had been used and abused by life. She married five times and the fifth she's with, she's not even married to, but again, a woman whom Jesus loves, a woman whom God says, I am going to call you my own. A woman whom the world wants to discard and says, you're worth nothing. Jesus says, God says, no, you're a person that I love and value and cherish. You're a person that I want to bring into my family. John chapter four, in so many ways, mirrors Joshua chapter two, the same God that sends the spies and ultimately redeems them. Uh, This woman is the same God we see in John chapter four who saves a Samaritan woman. Joshua is the first character that we discover in this book, but the second real character is Rahab. She plays a very prominent role here. And so we see the the sending out of this two spies, but really this chapter is like I I mentioned, centers on this woman, this shady lady, (laughs) the the story of Rahab. And really to me, we, we see in verses eight through 14, it was one of the most powerful confessions of faith. When we think of the context of who she is and where she came from, when we think about the information that she was given and that little bit of information, how she responds is absolutely challenging and inspiring. She says again, and I'll read it in verse eight, because listen to her confessions. It says, before the men lay down, she came up onto the roof and said to the men, verse nine, listen, she says, I know that the Lord, now notice here, the Lord there is the capital, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Anytime you see that in the Bible, that is the personal name of God. When you just have a capital L and lowercase O-R-D, Lord, that's the term Adonai or master. It's, It's a title. But she says, Lord, she's saying Yahweh. She knows the personal name of God, the covenant name of God. She's not just saying God in general. There's something even in the way she addresses these men that shows us the respect, the awe, the relationship, the faith that's even coming out as she addresses him. She says, I know this, the Lord has given you the land. She believes in this God. She believes in Yahweh. She believes in what he's declared. And that the fear of you has fallen on all of us, that the inhabitants of the land melt. She's testifying to the conditions of the people of Jericho. Verse 10, she says, for we have listened, heard. She had heard something. Herself and the townspeople, there was, they were murmuring, they were talking. They had heard, what did they hear? They heard the accounts of the Exodus 40 years earlier. Remember, this is 40 years later, but they have heard of the stories. They heard about how Yahweh, how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt. They'd heard recently because they were, if you read the story of Deuteronomy there, just before they entered the promised land, they did some battle on the, on the east side of the Jordan with the two kings of the Amorites. So there was recent history. Once again, they, they had no business winning other than God fought for them. And the stories were being told there's a, there's a group of people, a nomadic people, they're coming this way because God has made a promise and God is fighting on their behalf. And fear was in their hearts. Fear was in their hearts, not because they, they had such great military strength, they had chariots, they had, they had tanks, they had horses. No, no, because God was fighting for them. Verse 11, it says this, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit, there was no fight, there was nothing left in any man because of you, the Lord, your God. Listen, she says here. She says, the Lord, your God. But now she says, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. We see this confession of faith. She's saying, your God, Yahweh is God. But when she makes the statement, he is God, she's saying, no, he's God. She's acknowledging, she's declaring, she's, she's making a statement of faith, confessing who God is and saying, yes, you are the one true God. You are God of heaven and earth. Verse 12, she says, now then, please, Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with me in my father's house and give me a sure sign. You see, we asked the question, what would make a person, really any person, but a person like this risk everything? Because that's exactly what she does. She doesn't simply risk her reputation. There's not much there at the time, but she risks her life, her family's life, and obviously she's a person who's willing to do whatever it takes to live, but she knows if what she says and what she does in that moment, if it gets out, do you think they're going to treat her kindly? No way. She's going to be hanging from the outer walls of Jericho as a sign to everybody else. Her life would be forfeit like that, but she takes the, uh, the greatest risk. This, this woman from the red light district takes a risk, and it's a risk based on faith. It's the most radical decision she makes And what does she say? Again, she goes, I know, I know the Lord God. I know Yahweh God has gone before you. She testifies about what she has heard about the Exodus, about the works of God, the wonders of God, about how there's a God who fights on behalf of his people. They're not like the gods that she knew. They're not like the gods of Jericho that her and her people worshiped. There's some that speculate that perhaps, we don't know, but some have speculated perhaps she was a temple prostitute. We know that it was very frequent that a lot of prostitution was involved with uh, foreign worship of gods and goddesses. And maybe that's the case. And maybe she ended up the way she was because at a young age, that's what her family did. They gave her to the, uh, into the service of some god or goddess. I don't know, but whatever it was, she knows this god ain't working. This god ain't real. There's a one true god. And I'm willing to risk everything for that God and for his people. And I'm gonna take a stand, a strong stand for that God. What happens, she heard something. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God or the NIV says, faith comes from hearing the message. She'd heard the message. She'd heard the message about God and who he was and and what his word declared and she believed it. She mixed what she heard with faith. Faith that we'll see takes action, that takes great risks. Now, how did she learn about this? Where does she come into contact uh, uh, with this information about this God? Quite possibly by the the profession that she was in. There was a lot of people coming and going. A lot of people from different areas, they would come and go and they'd stop, whether it was a bite to eat or whatever else they would do when they frequent in the brothel. But a lot of people talked and as they talked, there was whispers, there were stories about a people about a people who served God, about a, about a God who delivered his people from the greatest superpower on earth at that time, Egypt, and he did it miraculously. The stories of the plagues, specifically she mentions the parting of the Red Sea. There's a God who literally dries up the Red Sea that, so his people can walk on it. She heard about it, and more and more people were whispering and talking, and she describes the condition of the people, and there's fear. but. There was fear, but there was fear mixed with faith. There was fear that's mixed with action. There's fear that says, no, I'm not gonna stay here. I'm gonna believe and trust and throw my lot in with this God. Listen, it's not simply enough that you recognize the reality of God. You must seek refuge in God, and that's exactly what she does. It wasn't enough for her to hear the stories. There's a lot of people, maybe you're here tonight, maybe you're online, you know the stories of God. She heard the stories about this God, and listen, listen carefully. She heard about the coming judgment that was declared for her and her people and really all of the Canaanites, and she believed it. It wasn't like, well, it's gonna happen someday. I'll get around to it. No, no, that judgment was coming, and she believed it was coming soon, and she said, I am going to take refuge. I'm going to do something about it. I'm gonna risk my life supernaturally, providentially, God brought those spies to her and gave her the opportunity to give this confession of faith and there's salvation that comes to her house. Salvation comes to her, her house. Faith cometh by hearing and she says, I'm gonna seek refuge in God. I'm casting my lot with Yahweh. This pagan prostitute Amorite says, Yahweh is Lord. She gives one of the greatest confessions of faith. Who but God? Who but God gives us a story like this? And maybe some of you have heard this story before. Listen, I pray you hear it and feel it afresh for how incredible it actually is. The most unlikely person God loves, the most unlikely person gives this incredible profession of faith. Such faith that, listen, the writer of Hebrews, when he could find anybody to single, single out, singles out Rahab to include in the hall of faith, along with Abraham, along with Moses, and there you find Rahab. James, in a very short book, in a few verses, and we 'll see in just a bit, singles out faith, faith that works, faith in action. who does he think? I could pick this person, this person is, who does he pick? He picks Rahab. Wow. He picks Rahab to single out to highlight this Gentile foreign woman prostitute and says, "This is faith. This is the kind of faith that God delights in. This is the kind of faith that invites God to move and to do great things. But listen to, listen carefully in verse 12. She says something, at first I read it several times, it wasn't until I, I got out you know, the concordance there and looked at what it says there and realized, oh, I know this word, it's a very powerful word. She says to the men, after she's made her declaration of faith, she says, I've dealt kindly with you, now you deal kindly with me. And when I read that, it was kind of like, well, I've been nice to you, you've been nice to me. Hey, fair is fair. I mean, it's kind of the way it reads at surface level. But that word kindly or deal, deal with me with kindness is a word that some of you might be familiar with. It's the Hebrew word chesed. It's the same word that the equivalent in the New Testament is the word agape. When David talks about your loving kindness is better than life, that word loving kindness is chesed. It's a word most often described about God. It's a loyal love. Oftentimes it's a covenant. It's a promise keeping love. It's a, it's a love that covers and so what she says is, I've been kind, I have covenanted. I have covered you, now cover me. What she's asking for is covering. She's asking for protection. She's asking and seeking refuge. And it's a, it's a legal agreement by faith that she is asking for. And again, it's a word when you, you've heard it before, some of you are familiar, it's one of the most powerful, beautiful words that we find in the Old Testament because God says, I put my chesed on you. She's asking for this and we'll see God grants this, God gives this to her, but not only for herself. It's not enough that she would say, hey, save me. She says, save me, save my daddy, save my mom, save my brother, save my my sisters. And I don't know if the sisters she was talking about were simply blood sisters or maybe they were the sisters that she worked with. I don't know, but she seems to be the kind of person that would seek their salvation also. Lord, cover them, cover, cover these whom I love, whom I, I wanna take responsibility for. Lord, if you're gonna save me, I wanna bring as many people as I can with me. That's the heart of anybody who's really met God, right? When you really have faith, you're, like, it's not, you're not content to simply, I'm getting into heaven, see you, good luck, buddy. No, you, when you've tasted and seen that he's good, when you really believe that he's good, you have to say, I need my, my sons, my daughter, my wife, my, my dad, my, my mom, my grandparents, my neighbors, I, I, I've gotta bring as many people as I can with me. I need covering, but God, I need you to cover them. I need them to come under the shadow of your wings. I need them to come under the, your protection. And who knows how they treat her? Who knows what they whispered about her? We, I mean, we can use our imagination to kind of think about the finan, you know, family dynamics. I mean, if one of you had a, a, a sibling that you know, was a sex worker for a profession, I wonder what you would think and talk. I don't know. But she loves them. She cares about them still and says, Lord, save them. She knows, listen, she knows wrath is coming. Stuff is coming down. It's about to rain down and I need to be covered. I need to be covered by God. Rahab was able to save, uh, save her people, not just uh, by her own schemes, by her own abilities, by her own planning. No, no, no. None of that worked. The only thing that could save was her putting her full and complete trust in God. And the God that she knew just a bit about, but she knew enough. There was a mustard seed of faith, but a faith that she took hold of and said, I believe in this God and I'm gonna seek refuge in this God. Now, let me just answer this question real quick because it's often asked and I'm a teacher and I like to ask these questions and I wanna answer some. Well, she's lying here, right? God doesn't condone lying. I mean, how could, how could this be put up as an example of faith when she says, no, there's no one here and she's hiding and lying and sending these people out? How do you answer that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish I could tell you, well, theologically, this and that, and because of it, I mean, there's people who do, and maybe there's a great, I don't know. I I know the 10 commandments, thou shalt not lie, but I do know this. There's oftentimes what the Bible records and, and difference between what God records and God recommends. Okay, there's a great difference between what is described and what is prescribed what it records and what it requires, what it reveals and what it rejoices in. Listen, this is where she's at. God takes her where she's at. And we have to remember, listen, she's a pagan who doesn't know the word of God, doesn't know anything else. She doesn't know anything else, but she has faith. And what God does highlight, it doesn't highlight the line, but God highlights her faith. God takes her where she's at. Again, this wasn't a person who had grown up at Christian school and had gone to Bible college and seminary. Okay, there's a lot more expected but there's faith and God says, I'm going to highlight that. I'm going to take that. I'm going to celebrate in that. I'm going to rejoice in that. And so that's my answer to that question. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a faith that is confessed, but there's also a faith that is acted upon. There's a faith that works. We are saved by faith alone, but a faith which is not alone or never alone. We're saved by faith, but faith that always shows itself in action. And She has a faith, a faith in God, but a faith that proves and demonstrates and shows itself in action by by saving these men, by making this testimony, by casting her lot with God and with his people. Her faith takes actions. We read there in the first few verses how she hides them, how she sends them off. Verse 15, we read here, then she let them down by a rope to the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there 3 days until the pursuers have returned then afterward you may go your way the men said to her we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made with us swear behold when we come into the land listen you shall tie the scarlet cord and we'll come back to that in the window through which you let us down and you shall gather into your house and your father and mother your brothers and all your father's household That last statement really is the only thing they glean, practically, but it's the most powerful. They, their faith is built up, how? Their faith is built up through the testimony of this harlot. That's the vessel, that's the instrument that God chooses to use to bring faith and encouragement back to the general, back to the leader, ultimately back to the people of God. Her faith is put in action when she hides him. Her faith is put in action when she sends him away. Her faith is put in action when she believes, hey, I believe what you're saying and I will tie this scarlet cord and put it outside of my my house. I'm willing to risk it all. I'm leaving my life behind. I'm leaving my culture behind. I'm leaving my people behind. I'm leaving it all behind and I'm casting my lot with you and with your God. It reminds me of Ruth. Ruth says later, a spiritual daughter who will actually be in her line, your people are my people, your God is my God. That's what essentially Rahab does, what essentially she says. James 2 says this, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered uh, righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Her faith was put into action. James says, when I want to find faith, faith that works, who do I look at? I look at this woman, Rahab. Listen, let me tell you tonight, when you act, when you act, you are demonstrating faith. And when you demonstrate faith, you get to see God act in history. You get to see God act in your story. She had faith. She acted on that faith. And because of that, God works in history and God works in her story. And when you do the same thing, listen, I don't know what's going on in your life, But when you begin to operate in faith and action, God can cover. God can cover you. He can cover your family. He can work. When everything else around you is falling down, like it literally will in the life of Rahab, God covers, God provides, God protects. I want to say to you tonight, it's not too late. It's never too late. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't determine your future. God has a purpose, a plan, a destiny for your life if you would say yes to him. When you take your faith, when you have real faith and move in action, you invite God to work. And listen, step back because you're going to see God do incredible things. God will do so much more than you could ever ask or imagine. When the walls come down, there's one house. There's, there's one house that is standing and it's Rahab's house. No one could ever ask or imagine or think such a thing, but that's exactly what happens. So faith that's confessed, faith that's acted upon, and there's a faith that's honored. And really that's the story of your life. God honors her faith. God saves this woman. God loves this woman. God honors her story. Joshua chapter six recounts when the walls fall down a couple different times. In the midst of it all, it reminds us, "Hey, we, I didn't forget about Rahab. God doesn't forget. God spares her." And we would think, well, wow, that's enough, right? Well, well, God spared her life. That, that's enough. She's saved. I mean, I mean, really, after her past, after all that she had done, I mean, you know, God lets her live. That, that's pretty gracious. You know, we might think that that's enough, but no, that's never enough with God. Right. There is no second class salvation with God. There's not like, well, you could stay, but you can only go this far because this is where you've come from. No, no, no. Rahab has such faith. She lays hold of it, man. We see what she, what God is able to do and give and bring about in her life. There's never second class salvation with God. God brought has said he brought blessing. He covered her. Whew, in so, so many more ways than she could have ever asked or imagine. Some of you think there's a ceiling. I can only get this far in the kingdom of God. I can only go this far because I don't have the family. I don't have the pedigree. I don't have the schooling. I don't have the experience or the experience I do have has disqualified me from this or that. Let me say to you tonight, by faith, there's no ceiling in the kingdom of God. There's a ceiling with this world. Says, that says, that's as far as you're going to go. Good luck with that. Your education lets you go this far. Your, your, your family, your reputation, uh, your, your connections, they'll get you here. But that's it. Don't expect to go any higher than that. No, in the kingdom of God, th- there's no limits except for unbelief keeps you back. But by faith like Rahab, he, she lays hold. She says, I believe God. I believe he's so big. I'm gonna lay hold to all that he has. Because her story doesn't simply end with her being spared. That's not the end of her story her story is that she actually stays in the promised land. You think, okay, I, I lived, uh, great, I, I'm gonna go off, I'm gonna go into the east and Moab or, you know, the Ammonites, I'll, I'll get a nice little plot of land. No, she says, I'm staying here. I'm staying in the promised land. I, I am becoming a worshiper of this one true God. I believe in the promised land because I believe in the God who keeps his promise, who gives his promise to his people. Her story we find a little bit later, and you guys know this. It's a story, again, of not second-class salvation, but it's a story of God's amazing grace, of his trophy of grace that really, the life of Rahab becomes. Because Rahab marries a man by the name of Salmon, or Solomon, who was the father of Boaz. And you're like, hey, I know Boaz. Boaz, who married Ruth. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, oh, I think that sounds familiar. Who was the mother, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Again, I told you chapter two is critical, not to the immediate salvation of Israel possessing your land, but the story was critical to the plan of salvation because Rahab doesn't just simply get spared from the destruction of the walls. She actually gets brought all the way in. Like I said, there's no second class citizen. There was no ceiling. I mean, you don't get any higher than being involved and being in, in the direct line of King David, whom we know ultimately was in the direct line of King Jesus. So the Bible highlights Rahab several times and we see this is what God does and what God can do with any life who will say yes to him. God is able to take a harlot and make a hero out of her just like he can do with any of us. This is true. This is who God is. This is what faith looks like. This is what even the smallest bit of faith God can take and do great things through it and with within. So we wonder why? Why does God keep saying Rahab the harlot? I mean, Peter the fisherman, okay, it's not so bad. Joseph the carpenter, why Rahab the harlot? Is it to keep bringing shame? No way. Why does he do this? I believe he does this because he lets all of us know it's never too late. He can save anyone. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done 10 years ago. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did an hour ago. If you'll surrender yourself to God, He can do something with your life. He can forgive, He can restore, He can redeem. And there's a far greater destiny than you could ever imagine. God says to you tonight, "If you'll take refuge in me, I will cover, I will give my Hesed, I will bless your life. I'll make a trophy of grace out of you and out of your life. The world sees a throwaway. God sees a daughter. The world sees a throwaway, God sees a sun. Recently, and I'll end with a story and I'm going a little bit late for tonight, but God sees, excuse me, I was a part of this story. A friend of mine, a recent friend, it was pretty incredible. Two weeks ago, two Saturdays ago, Annie and I got invited to a party a celebration and we're like, yeah, I would love to go. What's the celebration? And it was a friend of mine who was getting off parole and I was like, wow, I've never been to a getting off parole party. What's this gonna be like? And let me just tell you, it was one of the most powerful things I've ever got to experience in my life. Because it wasn't just somebody who reformed their life, which would have been great, you know, okay, I could have celebrated. But it was a, the most radical testimony of God saving somebody that the world said, you have no business living. Yeah, you, who threw in prison, who should have been in prison, who should have been dead, who told me his story, who told me his testimony. And I don't think I've ever heard a testimony so radical. Drugs from 11 years old age, Drugs, drug dealer, beaten up, violence. I mean, you name it. On and on and on it goes. line several times. Heroin, fentanyl. On and on, it just kept going, and kept going. You're like, how are you alive? How are you alive? How are you? How are you functioning? How are you in a, a person? And to hear the story of God saving this person delivering this person he was sitting there giving glory to god it was we were at this restaurant outside and and all of a sudden the waiters and the owner they were listening they couldn't believe it they were crying listening to the story of what god was doing it was absolutely incredible there he was with his young wife and his brand new baby, free. And here's a man whom God is using greatly and powerfully. God didn't just, okay, I've saved you, I've cleaned you, I've delivered you. I've now got a call and a purpose and he's preaching and God is using powerfully in his life. I was just thinking, about, that's the God that we serve. This story is, it reminds us that God's not after for the nice, got it all together, middle-class people who you are all nice. He loves the middle-class people too, praise God. Yay! (laughs) but he loves everybody and his family is is made up of all kinds of people and maybe you're one of those all kinds of people maybe you're in that middle class but for us it's the challenge tonight is let's not see people like the world sees them let's not label people like the world labels people let's look with eyes of faith and maybe it's a word of encouragement to some of you tonight who you have a family member a son or daughter who seems so far gone, you think, ah, there's no way. Anybody would have seen a Rahab and said, there's no way that woman's being saved. She's hardened. She, she's, she's a cast off. She's, she's just to be discarded. She's just got a blip in history. And God says, no, she's not a blip in history. In fact, I'm gonna use her and I'm gonna record her name for all of eternity because she's in my line. She's a trophy of my grace. I have a call of purpose and a destiny. She never thought possible, but God, but God tonight, but God tonight. I, I told you I'd close this last thing, the scarlet cord. What was this emblem of faith? What was the sign of faith? She was told, take this red ribbon, take this red, this scarlet cord and tie it outside your window. And that will be the sign of faith. That will be the sign that God will pass over. Again, we see the same picture, the same symbolism that took place in Egypt 40 years previously A little bit different. They had to sacrifice the lamb and put the blood. But all of those who took refuge in the house, all those who took refuge under the blood were passed over, were spared. In the same way, Rahab and her dad, her mom, brothers, sisters, anybody who by faith listened to what she said and who took refuge in that house where the red, the scarlet cord was displayed, they were spared. Listen, Rahab, she lived in a place. She lived in a place that was determined to be destroyed. She lived in a place that was under the judgment of God. There was a scheduled judgment. Destruction was coming and it was coming soon, but Rahab finds refuge. Rahab finds deliverance. We are Rahab, I am Rahab. All who are ever saved are like Rahab. We live in a place that is scheduled, the Bible says, for judgment. There's a new heaven, a new earth that is coming. But for those who have made our commitment of faith, the time of our deliverance will soon be here. And we live in this time under the covering of the blood of King Jesus. Under his said, under his protection. And I close with this and I get ready for communion. Why was Rahab saved? Not just because she heard, she heard and she responded. There's a lot of people who know about Jesus who, yeah, I think there's a judgment. Oh, I think it's coming and I'll get right someday. She knew, no, someday might be this day. I'm not promised tomorrow. Today, I'm gonna cast my lot with the Lord. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day I will say yes to God. For some of you tonight, here presently, for those of you who are online or maybe you're hearing at some other time, this is your moment. This is the opportunity, like Rahab, where you get to say yes to God. Where you say, I don't just recognize that there's a God. No, I'm gonna take refuge in him. I'm gonna take refuge in Jesus, not simply a scarlet cord or the blood of a lamb in Passover, but the only blood that can save, the blood of Jesus who was crucified on the cross for me. Rahab the harlot, the sinful woman who sold her body for money, made the hall of faith for one reason. When the chips were down, she believed the promise and did something about it. Tonight, will you do something about it? God says, I love you. He loves He loves Rahab. He loves you. You're online, wherever the camera's at. He loves you. He wants to bring you into his family. He won't force you. But I also want to say, like Rahab, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. One day for this whole earth, one day ultimately for everybody, we're going to stand before God, but we can be covered when we say yes to the Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.marinoththechapel.org for more information.